This is episode 26 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I am your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hi friends, thanks for tuning in. I'm eager to share a conversation I recently had with Glenna Marshall, a talented writer, musician, and adoptive mama, who in this episode shares a bit about her experience adopting her two sons. Glenna has contributed several essays to the Kindred Bomb blog this past year, and every one of them is worth reading. I would love to draw your attention especially to two about her adoption journey, one titled I am a real mom, and the other is called A Thousand Times Yes. You can find the links to those in the show notes of this episode. Please go and read them and catch up with Glenna on social media. She's really great. If you're finding Kindred Mom for the first time, I would love to invite you to check out the blog and read some of the exquisite essays we have featured there this year by a variety of insightful and talented moms. We'd love to invite you to subscribe to our Whispers of Grace newsletter, which is something we send out once or twice a month to keep you updated on what's happening on Kindred Mom, both the blog and the podcast. And as a gift, my team and I would love to send you Manage the Mayhem of Motherhood, 52 Ideas to Help You Flourish, which is a resource we created to encourage moms. You can subscribe by going to kindredmom.com bonus. Let's get started. Well, I'm so pleased to have Glenna Marshall as a guest with me again on the Kindred Mom podcast today. Glenna, how are you? I'm really good. I'm really glad to be back. Thanks for asking me back. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on to talk about some pretty uh, important things that we're covering this month, one of which is World Adoption Day that is coming up. And because I have had a glimpse into your um, adoption journey through your writing, I am really pleased to have you on as our guest today. Well, thanks. I'd love to get started by having you introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your journey into motherhood through your adoptions. Sure. So I'm a pastor's wife. I live in Southeast Missouri. We've been here a little over 12 years. We're originally from Tennessee. Though. We're transplants living in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And we came to adoption initially because of a history of infertility. And, mm-hmm. um, I always thought that adoption would be an option for me when I was growing up because my father was adopted as mm-hmm. an infant and I, it was very normal to me to have adoption being one of the ways our family was built. And so I, but I, I think I had it in my head that adoption is something I would do later down the road after we had quote our own children, right. which I, I hear that phrase a lot. And I said it myself. Um, not knowing that we would not be able to have biological children. Mm-hmm. And we wrestled with our infertility for, I think it was about five years before we finally took the plunge to adoption. I'm not really sure why we drag our feet for so long. We kind of started and stopped the process a couple of times. I would order the initial paperwork and just be overwhelmed by it and not feel like I was 100 percent ready to start. Mm-hmm. And then, um, it's actually a really interesting story. Uh, when I think it, well, it would have been January, 2008, we had a friend who was an adoptive mom. Um, she and her husband had a child, uh, three or four years old that they had adopted from Ethiopia. And then they had just brought home an infant through domestic mm-hmm. adoption. And this woman was suddenly killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And, 
I, I was so shocked by her death and I just had recently had a conversation with her about adoption and infertility mm-hmm. and the Lord really used that in my own life as a catalyst. I felt like it was a reminder that time was short and mm-hmm. there were children that needed parents. And so we filled out an application that week and sent it in and started all of our paperwork. And in six months, we brought home our son. It was really fast. Even for a domestic adoption, it was really fast. Yeah. And so, um, and, and it was actually, our first adoption was for the most part, I mean, I think if you could have a really classically good adoption where not much goes wrong, that was it. And I'm really glad that was our first adoption, that it went that way. Um, cause that doesn't always happen. And it definitely mm-hmm. did not happen that way with our second adoption. But, um, yeah, so that, I mean, I guess I would say infertility was the first reason we adopted, but then once we got into the process and realized the need for families, uh, whether you're looking at domestic or fostering or international, it really became less about us having children and more about us being available for children. I don't know if that makes sense, but it really shifted the way that I thought about adoption because at first it was, I can't have a baby. Therefore, this is the way I can grow my family. Right. But that's not where it stayed with us. I think you become an, an advocate for adoption without really meaning to once you get into the process. Right. Yeah. And so you shared uh, a couple months ago, there was an essay that you shared with us that was titled, I am a real mom. And you kind of go through the, the feelings and the journey of the moment of trying to embrace your adoptive son for the first time and identify with those feelings of like, that you may not have birthed him through your own body, but recognizing that you are really his mother. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that season or those few weeks even when that really became something that you could embrace for yourself. Yeah, I I don't think I'm alone in feeling um, insecure in mm-hmm. my motherhood as someone who's never had biological children, mm-hmm. but it was not something I felt comfortable talking about with people for a long time. I, I think I felt insecure because I thought, you know, motherhood is being pregnant and giving birth and then mothering your children. But because I came to it differently, I really struggled with what I call, I think I call in the essay imposter syndrome. Like I felt like I was the babysitter pretending to be the mother because my son doesn't look like me. I didn't carry him for nine months. I didn't have those nine months. I didn't know him, you know, in my womb, like most people know their children. And so I, I, I felt inadequate in that way. And I think in in a sense, I, was projecting that onto friends and family kind of thinking, Oh, this must be what they think. They think Mm -hmm. I'm a fake also. And I was a little sensitive about it. Um, and then as I shared in that Mm -hmm. essay, I remember this one week, my son was preschool age and he was really sick and we laid in bed all night. And, you know, as a mom, you just have those nights where you lay in the bed with your kid with a trash can Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you're just hoping they can aim well. (laughs) So, um, it was one, it it was a night like that and I, it just hit me. And I really think, um, it was just the Lord's way of reminding me, you are a mother. I gave you this child. I have entrusted him to you. The way Mm -hmm. that I've entrusted him to you might be different than other people that I have entrusted him to you. And I, 
it just hit me really hard. I am a mom. This is what moms do. And I don't know what this standard is that I've created in my head, but biology, it may not connect me to my son, but it's not the only way we come to motherhood. And, um, I feel like it took me a while to understand that it was okay that my motherhood looked different from my friends. And I was just as much my son's mother and was doing all of the mothering things that they were doing. And, you know, pregnancy and birth, uh, while Mm -hmm. I, I kind of miss having that connection with my two boys at the same time, there's so much after it's a lifetime of after that, that I have with them. And, and that is where I find my motherhood. And I'm really grateful that I have the option to be a mother when my body won't let me. It's a wonderful gift. I so appreciate what you said about having come to motherhood from a different experience and yet coming to embrace that role in a more serious way through that midnight experience. Um, One thing that I have experienced in my motherhood journey is I think that there was a long stretch of time that even though I did birth my children, even though I was pregnant with them, that there was a lot of time there that I was really just trying to get through. I was just trying to survive those years and I wasn't totally embracing the full impact of what kind of influence I had in my children's lives or how much I could really step into motherhood with a wholehearted embrace of my role. And I remember being even when I was 24, 25, my second uh, was born when I was 25. And I was among a peer group of women who were all having their second babies, but they were closer to 40. And it was, I felt the imposter syndrome thing that you're talking about. I was like, right. well, these women are established. They have homes and cars. And I was just out of college with a really young family. And so I don't know that it's only adoptive mothers who may feel that imposter syndrome, but that it just does take some time as we um, grow along with our children to see that the role that we have. I guess I just would love to talk a little bit more about the process of embracing motherhood, how that really can be similar among women who have different stories. And knowing that this month is World Adoption Day, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the other essay that you wrote for our community that's going up on the blog this month and talk about your journey of embracing your role as a mama. Yeah, so... You know, it's interesting when I think about all the different ways that we come to motherhood, there really is a level of just grit and determination that women possess. And I think you can see it played out in several different ways. I mean, I very much look at my adoption processes as the labor Mm -hmm. that we went through, not physical like most women, but that's hard labor. And then adoption paperwork and waiting is hard labor. And I just think when um, a woman is wanting to be a mother and is anticipating the birth of her child or the adoption of her child, there's just Mm -hmm. some really just a strength. I think that the Lord gives us to do what we have to do to, you know, get to the end result of of becoming a mother and learning to mother our children. Um, So our second adoption 
did not go the way that we had planned. We actually were going to do an international adoption Mm -hmm. the second time around. We spent two and a half years in a program with an African country and waited and waited. And then the country closed down to Mm -hmm. adoption. Mm -hmm. And so our options were to start over completely. And we would, uh, we were losing thousands of dollars and two and a half years of waiting and lots of paperwork. And our social worker encouraged us to consider domestic adoption. And we've done that before. And we thought that's maybe that'll be a little faster just because we waited so long and we didn't want such an age gap between our kids. And so we pursued domestic adoption and redid all of our home studies and home visits and everything and uh, ended up waiting two and a half more years. We were really surprised by that Mm -hmm. process. And, um, ended up in a process that we thought was going to go really well. And it was out of state and we were a good seven, almost eight hours away from home. And when you adopt across a state line, you have to stay in that state until um, a certain documentation goes through called interstate compact agreement. Mm -hmm. And so you have to like, you have to wait for the birth state to release you and your home state to accept you basically. So we were uh, stuck in another state far from home with a new baby and we thought everything was great. And then the attorney called and told us that there was a major problem in our adoption. And it's a very multi-layered story. And a lot of things that are difficult and hard to share. And we questioned everything about what we believed about adoption and adoption ethics. We did a a lot of talking with professionals and caseworkers and social workers and people in the adoption community and did a lot of praying before we felt comfortable to pursue the plan that was in front of us. But we had about a, a week out of state, away from home, staying with some acquaintances with a brand new baby, and everything seemed to be falling apart. There was a very real possibility that we were going to have to give up this baby mm-hmm. that we already loved, absolutely, right. and had been waiting for for five years. And yeah. um, so that um, we were not prepared for that. And mm-hmm. I just think this is where that a thousand times yes essay really came from. Mm-hmm. I reminded, I was reminded over and over and every morning I am agreeing to stay in this process. Mm-hmm. Every night I'd go to bed, I'm agreeing to stay in this process. There are so many times we could have just quit. And right. frankly, it would have been easier. But this is when that shift in my thinking years ago really came into play. This is not about me, this having what I want. This is about me taking a risk for what this child needs. And when I could look at it that way, I, I felt like I would do whatever the next thing was, we would do it we would just do the next thing. And we couldn't think long-term and I'm really glad I didn't try to because it dragged out about eight months. And, um, it was incredibly hard to go to bed every night, rocking a baby, putting him in his bed and wondering if I would lose him tomorrow. It really tested the boundaries of what it meant to mother a child I may not keep. And it gave me so much respect for foster parents. Let me tell you, because this is, it was not a fostering situation. It was never meant to be. And it taught me a lot about loving selflessly, which honestly just prepared me for motherhood in general. 
I mean, motherhood is a lesson. It's mm-hmm. a study in selfless love, as you well know. I do. And so in some ways, I, I look at this experience of having to love without strings mm-hmm. and knowing that this baby needed maternal love for as long as I could give it to him. As long as I was allowed to give it to mm-hmm. him, I was going to give it to him. And if I ended up being the one who risked the most, mm-hmm. if I ended up losing him well, I was better for loving him and he was better for having a mother's love in that space of time. Yeah. And I, I really think that though that's a unique situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good picture of motherhood in general. Yeah. You know, we, you know, ch- our children aren't always quick to thank us for the things that we do for them. Right. And, oh, thanks mom for serving me every day. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not naturally inclined towards gratefulness, yeah. but we don't do it for that. We do it because it's what they need and we love yeah. them because we love them. And also because that mothering in us is just determined to love our children and give them the love that they need. And so in that way, that very much makes me feel like a real regular mom. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And you are a real regular, awesome mom. (laughs) And I just love what you're saying about recognizing the sacrificial nature of love, both as a mother, but just sacrificial nature of love in general. Like so often we kind of equate love with these ooey gooey feelings like, oh, I love you so much. You're so sweet. Whatever. And there are lots of times that I do not feel like my children are sweet. (laughs) They are (laughs) challenging and they sharpen me and they, you know, I don't have my children because that's what I need to fulfill myself. I have my children because that is where I am called to give and pour out my resources, my heart, my love, my care. Um, And a lot of times that happens uh, in a way that it just goes against our natural tendency for wanting things to be easy, want to have a path Mm -hmm. of least resistance. And there's something difficult about that, but there's also something really beautiful about that because I know the women that I have journeyed alongside who have gone from being single women or married women without children to when they begin caring for a child in that sacrificial way, I see character growth in them in all areas of their lives. It's not just a one-to-one thing where you grow in your ability to love selflessly one person. I think that you all of a sudden begin to see the needs of other people. So one thing I just love about motherhood is how it brings out that nurturing side. For me, in my experience, I didn't really have an awareness that I could nurture and benefit and bless and give to other people the way that I'm able to now that I've had a lot of practice at it, (laughs) sometimes against my will. (laughs) Right. You know, I see that play out sometimes in relationships in my church. I think of women who are empty nesters who continue to pour out that kind of mothering love on other people. I can think of one woman in particular who has her children are mostly grown and she's turned that mothering into care for some of the widows in her church. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's beautiful. And that is so that gift of mothering can really be lifelong, even if you're not mothering little children at home. 
For sure. Yeah, and I would love to, since it is uh, World Adoption Day this month, if there are things that you would love for women like me or other moms who maybe haven't been through the adoption process, if there are things that you would love for other people to know about either what that journey is like or how friends who are not in the process can support and come alongside those that are. Yeah, that's a a good question. I think that one of the best things you can do for a friend who's going through the adoption process is be a listener uh, because they're going to want to talk about the things that are hard, the things that are challenging. Mm -hmm. The waiting is going to be the biggest thing that mom going through adoption that she's going to want to talk about. And it can be a little wearisome to to commiserate with someone who's been waiting that that can kind of get old after a while. But I think that having someone listen to you when it's an open-ended wait, most of the time, there's not necessarily a finish line in sight that you can see that's marked out. Oh, after exactly so many months, you're going to have another child. Um, So I think having a friend who listens and understands and particularly asks you, how are you doing with your writing? How can, you know, how can I pray for you? Or Mm -hmm. do you want to go have coffee? And let's just talk about what you're thinking about regarding adoption. And I think that goes a long way. I mean, that's true in most areas of motherhood, Mm -hmm. but that was valuable to me when people asked me specifically, how are you doing while you're waiting? It's been a long time. So let's talk about that. And so that, I think that's a good thing you can do. And then I think too, um, just in that arena of acknowledging the realness of motherhood through adoption, I think doing mm-hmm. things like offering to babysit at some point and, you know, trying to affirm a mother in her weariness in mothering, because a lot of times an adoptive mom is not going to feel like she mm-hmm. has the right to sort of complain about being tired or worn out or the baby's not sleeping or whatever the issue may be, because she's afraid people are going to come back and say, Mm -hmm. well, you sought this out. You did a lot of work and a lot of waiting to have this child. And, um, but that, you know, nobody's really thinking that. And, uh, but the mother may feel secure. I've talked to other adoptive moms who feel the exact same way. And so, um, you know, volunteer to babysit for that mom or do things that you would do for any mom. Mm -hmm. Um, if she is, has not had like a baby shower or a toddler shower, if she's adopting an older kid, you know, find a way to affirm her motherhood the way that you would for someone else. And, you know, it just, she needs support adoption, especially if she's one of the only people in her life who's adopting, it can feel a little bit lonely. And so, um, she needs a village around her to help her get up every day and say, yes, I'm committed to this process because I'm committed to the child needs a home. Well, I so appreciate your thoughts and I am just in awe of people who do take the route of adoption. I love seeing families growing in that way and just so grateful for your insights and perspective. I would love to have more adoptive families represented through the things that we host on our blog. Yeah, I appreciate it. I I always want to say when I talk about adoption, the process is hard, lengthy and confusing and art. And in our second adoption was just very difficult. But mm-hmm. on the other side of that, I cannot express how grateful I am to get to be the mom to my two boys. I mean, I, I think about what my life would be like without them. And I, I wouldn't do mm-hmm. anything differently. I feel like 
and my husband would say the same thing. Like we're the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. Like we're the ones who really were blessed through the process of adoption because we get yeah. to parent these two kids. And so, um, yeah, definitely. And grateful that adoption exists. So awesome. Well, I would love to close out by having you share a little bit about what you're currently working on and where people can find you and all that good stuff. Yes. So I am all over social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, my I blog at glennamarshall.com. I'm not blogging quite as much right now because I am working on my first book. I signed a book contract about a month ago mm-hmm. with uh, PNR Publishing. And so that uh, my manuscript's due next summer. And so I think it's coming out in 2019. And then I'm also a contributing author to a 365-day devotional for adopted moms hmm. that is slated to come out with 228 Publishing next November or December, I believe, is su- supposed to be before the holidays next year. And awesome. so um, I am excited about that just because there's not anything quite like it out right now. And hmm. I think it's a great way to support moms who are in the process of adopting. That's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here and for sharing. And I will get all of your relevant links and put them in the show notes for this episode. And thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I keep thinking about what Glenna said regarding feeling like an imposter simply because she did not give birth to her children. Over the years, there have been several times that I have felt like an imposter as well. When I was a newer mom, I was afraid that if anyone else knew how inexperienced and insecure I felt about my ability to care for my children, they would surely not allow me to continue doing the job. I worried that if I shared too honestly about how I struggled through those early years, that I would just be met with judgment or condemnation from others. I looked for validation anywhere I could find it because I was afraid that my feelings of inadequacy, uncertainty, worry, and fear were the sum total of what I brought to the table as a mom. Those big feelings clouded my view from seeing the truth about myself, that I am a committed, loving mother who is doing my best, growing alongside my children, and that I have God's grace to carry me through the seasons that don't come as easily. Motherhood is about giving what we have to our kids and growing with them as they grow. In Glenna's essay, A Thousand Times Yes, she shares beautiful reflections about how she committed herself to staying in the turbulent, unpredictable, and emotionally risky process of adopting her son. I think her sentiments ring true in other spheres of motherhood as well. Every day you risk your heart to love your little ones. You say yes to this life of loving well, even though you have no guarantees about what is ahead. You do what is needed. You give up comfort, sleep, time, money, and many other things. And you do all of it to pour into your children to provide what they need. You are a walking example of sacrificial love. It wasn't until I became a mother that I truly understood the love of God for me. That he loves me not because I have done all the right things or impressed him with my devotion, not because I deserve it or have somehow brought together the right recipe to earn his favor. Love is not something that we earn. It is something freely given out of the care and concern of the giver. God loves you and you can't do anything to change that. My children do not do all the right things. 
They do not always follow my directions. They do nothing to earn my love. Even though they do many things that bring a smile to my face, I don't love them because they have earned it. I love them because they are my children, unique, wonderful, challenging, and inextricably woven into the fabric of my heart in a way that no other person can undo. There's another essay up on the Kindred Mom blog this month by Katie Carper about her adoption journey. I wanted to include an excerpt of it in this episode because of how exquisitely she captures the beautiful and hard parts of the experience that she had, how in her situation, both she and the birth mother of her child sacrificially loved that little boy. She writes, On the day of our son's birth, we were invited to join his birth parents before intense labor began. After assuring them of our support, we left the hospital to savor some quiet time as a couple. An hour later, our cell phone rang. In a happy tone, the doctor said, Hello, Mrs. Carper. Your son is here. My son. We returned to the hospital to connect with our son's birth family before walking into the NICU to meet him. As I entered their room, I was greeted by Sam's birth father, a kind and gentle soul, quick to smile and offer a hug, even in his grief. Thick black braids framed his dark face, now glistening with tears. Then I met her eyes. Deep, hazel pools of both sadness and relief, puffy from exhaustion, weary from the act of giving birth, of giving over the one she bravely carried for nine months. Trying desperately to conceal my emotions, to be stronger than I felt, I moved my hand to my mouth. I was afraid of the tears, afraid they'd never stop if they started to fall, afraid to appear weak and incapable of parenting this child whom she had entrusted to me. She saw my struggle and quietly, almost timidly asked, are you okay? I could no longer maintain my facade of control. I answered through quiet sobs. It's bittersweet. Our great joy has come through your great loss. We wept together, unashamed of our tears as we welcomed both the joy and the pain of our story. We were two desperate mothers clinging to each other, two weary travelers on two very different roads, but somehow joined in our dreams of life for this sweet boy. An hour later, we followed the hospital's social worker to the NICU. Then I saw him. Our son was lying on his back, tubes in his tiny mouth covered with an oxygen mask, all connected to a machine beeping intermittently. I stood over the clear plastic bin that held our newborn babe and through blurry eyes marveled at his features. His hair was jet black and straight, his nose the cutest button. His almond-shaped eyes were closed as if he dreamt of a brighter world beyond these gray walls. His white diaper only deepened the tone of his mocha-colored skin. His sweet, wrinkled feet had the wide gap between his first and second toes. I wondered if our boy knew how deeply I loved him. Did he feel the loss that brought us together? Did he know the pain his first mama suffered down the hall? Did he sense the guilt his second mama carried? Did he feel the weight of this day? Did he know how fervently I had prayed for him? I breathed a shaky, tearful prayer of thanks to the one who led us to this moment. Our son was here, our Samuel Creed, whose name reminds me to believe that God answers prayer, had finally arrived. 
If you want to read Katie's essay in full, visit kindredmom.com and search for Bittersweet, The Process of Adopting My Son. In recognition of World Adoption Day on November 9th, I want to honor families who grow through the process of adoption and the communities who support adoptive families in practical, physical, and financial ways. I celebrate the birth parents who give their children an opportunity to flourish in a forever home, and I celebrate the children who delight the families that have welcomed them. I hope you will check out the websites for World Adoption Day and AdoptTogether.org, both of which I will link in the show notes. You can also show your support for World Adoption Day by drawing a smiley face on the palm of your hand and sharing a photo of it on social media on November 9th. Thanks for listening.